Back here on the Footy Talks podcast, it has been a busy couple of weeks with MLS Cup and, of course, the international window as well. And quite frankly, I got uh, a lot of soccer fatigue. But as always, that has worn off very quickly, and uh, I'm back to being pretty excited about the off season um, and what that could bring for Toronto off season. So we'll preview that on this week's show. To do that, I can think of nobody, nobody better, maybe other than uh, some TFC management, uh, than James Grossi of MLSsoccer.com <laughs> to come on the show and and preview what should be um as i said a, a pretty intriguing off season for toronto fc uh james have you had a chance to uh get any rest after uh, i'm i'm quite sure what was quite a busy few couple weeks there yeah it took a couple days to try and uh try and get over the soccer fatigue but as you said you know it, it goes away pretty quick and we're all eager for uh for some fresh news to, to talk about and debate and discuss and so uh, i'm looking forward to getting into some things with you today yeah, certainly. And before we uh, get into some things, uh, Footy Talks is back at the Rivoli uh, on November 27th for our 2019 Soccer Summit. Join host Maria Papadakis, as well as Christian Jack, Stephen Caldwell, Luke Wildman, with more to be announced soon. A podcast exclusive, you can use the code FOOTYTALKS, all lowercase, for 50% off tickets. You can do so by heading over to homestandsports.com slash events to pick up your tickets. Um, some news did just break in Toronto FC land, though, uh, that, of course, being the uh, club options um, and the players who were picked up and, and weren't picked up, of course. Um, this is never a, a final thing. Um, you can always renegotiate contracts afterwards, but at least we know in, in some ways um, how Toronto FC's roster will start to take shape for next season. Um, the club decided not to pick up options on Caleb Patterson Sewell, Ashton Morgan, Aiden Daniels, Ryan Telfer, and John Beccaro. Um, I think the, the biggest one there being Ashton Morgan, of course, considering how long he's been with the club. Um, they have picked up options on Arrow, Julian Dunn, Richie Larea, Chris Mavinga, Justin Morrow, Marky Delgado, Liam Frazier, Subasa Endro, and Patrick Mullins. I know there's certainly a lot to digest there. And as I said, it's uh, nothing is, is necessarily final with the players who they didn't pick up options on. Uh, the, the other thing I forgot to mention is that uh, as of right now, Nicholas Benazay's loan is set to expire um, in the new year. So as of right now, now he might not be back as well, but um, anything there that really stand out to you, James, in terms of um, you know uh, what we learned today? Yeah, I'm. I'm always. I'm always a little skeptical when we look at these things about how indicative they are of, of anything, really. You know, like I'm not. I'm not sure exactly what the ramifications are for today in terms of, you know, you can still talk to every single guy who had an option declined. I think all that it means is whatever number was in that option year is not the number that they will be back at next year. So, you know, I, I always take all this as sort of a, another bit of information on the pathway to, to finding out what the actual team is going to be looking like next year. I, I seem to recall uh, a couple of years ago, Ashton Morgan was in the same boat once more where, where, he had his option declined and the club ended up negotiating mm-hmm. with him and bringing him back at a, at a different number. So I always sort of view this more as a breadcrumb than anything sort of definitive. Yeah. I was just chatting with a couple of people sort of about, you know, what is, what is Drew Moore being at a contract at the end of the year and, and Nicholas Benazay's end lo- loan ending at the end of the year mean? And, you know, they're just sort of statements of fact to me, like, yes, Drew Moore will be at a contract at the end of the year. And yes, Nicholas Benazay's loan will end at the end of the year, but that doesn't necessarily prescribe what's going to happen going forward. So I always take these with a little bit of a grain of salt, but we do start to get a, a little bit of a glimpse of, of what the team is thinking and, and where things are going from here. Yeah, it sounds like th- there's already been some reports that Ashton Morgan is is at least talking to Toronto FC still. So um, like you said, I, I could imagine seeing him back with at a lower number he's certainly been a great servant to the club and uh, someone who i think really um, would like to spend as much of his time uh, in his career here as as possible and you know uh, a player who's been um, pretty reliable for toronto fc over the years when he's been called upon so uh, we'll see what happens there again um, uh, you know nothing finalized there what has been finalized was the first trade of the offseason sending jay chapman to enter miami for a hundred thousand dollars in general allocation money 
Um, you know, again, not sure if there was some sort of deal with Miami as well related to the expansion draft, but uh, no Toronto FC player was picked up in that. And certainly they wouldn't announce something like that um, publicly. But an interesting one, I think Chapman, certainly a player who kind of got lost in the, the numbers game in, in the Toronto FC midfield over the past. Uh, certainly this year, he got some decent time in 2018 and a player who um, goes into a new situation with a club. Um, you know, a new club, and and certainly we've seen players uh, be able to take full advantage of this, and uh, in the past, and uh, make a name for themselves in in a place where you know certainly very few players are are guaranteed their jobs when it's an it's a new team and there's no past with the club. Yeah, you know, they kindly waited until after all the press conferences were over to announce this one, so you know we weren't really able to ask anybody any questions about it, and uh, or or see how Jade felt about about making the move, but. Whenever something like this comes about, you you sort of have to presume that the player was up for for something different. You know, I've I've spoken to Jay a couple times over the years, uh, and he, he was always pretty adamant that that you know being a Toronto guy, this is where he wanted uh, this is where he wanted to be playing, and and it's it's become pretty evident as well over the years that he wasn't necessarily going to get the chance to to find the regular minutes that you really need as a professional. And, you know, this is a guy that's sort of been on the fringes of of the national team as well. Uh, John Herdman is a big fan of what he brings, but if you're not playing week in, week out, it gets really hard to be uh, considered for a role like that. So, you know, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty excited to see what Jay's capable of in a new team. As you said, uh, whenever a, a whole new team is coming together, it, it's always really hard to tell who's going to be the one that that sticks their head up and, and manages to get those minutes in the midfield, but. You know, with another Canadian guy, David Norman Jr., uh, down mm-hmm. there in in Miami, it'll be a, it'll be one for us up here to to keep a close eye on. You know, Jay Jay was always a guy that came into the league with a ton of talent, um, but he seemed to always get sort of bumped down the depth chart every year. And I think part of that is is that he plays in that position on the field where where with the introduction of introduction of Tam and and Gam and and all those allocation monies, uh, it seems to be a pretty pretty key spot that teams hone in on to bring in that high-priced international talent and you know you look at a guy like Jay and he was behind Victor Vasquez for a while and then he's behind Alejandro Pozuelo and you know for a for a 22 year old coming out of college it's it's pretty tough to to steal minutes away from guys who are who are seasoned veterans the way that those two guys have been there and I think I, one of the things that I always struggle with when talking about a young player like Jay is is sort of what's better for you as a developing professional? Is it better that you get those minutes and you get those games and you get those reps in, or is it is it just as good or, or good in a different way that you get to train day in and day out with the likes of guys that he's trained with at Toronto and, and have some of the experiences that, that he's had? You know, he goes to Miami as an MLS Cup winner. He goes to Miami as a guy who's, who's been through the CONCACAF Champions League and, and who's lifted trophies with the club. And so that sort of experience, you can play as many games in a year as are possible and you don't necessarily have that same experience. So it's it's always a, a balancing act between what the right situation is for a guy. But, you know, I think he's coming up. Uh, he's no longer a young player per se. And so, so that chance to sort of, be be one of the names on the team sheet week in and week out was probably too good for him to him to pass up and and I have to presume that he was uh, he was looking forward to a new challenge given how how few and far between minutes here in Toronto have been it, it was very much time for for something like this to happen to a guy like Jay it was uh, Toronto has a has a good crop of young players that they're really interested in and that midfield is so congested in Toronto that. Uh, I'm not sure he was ever really going to find the minutes that that he wanted. Yeah, and I think you'd like to see that ambition from a player, certainly, as you said, a player who uh, is on the periphery of the Canadian men's national team to go to a spot to push to to find minutes when maybe his club situation isn't... uh, you know, necessarily conducive to him getting major minutes at the moment. So um, I, I do like this move from Jay Chapman. Now, that being said, uh, you know, certainly you would expect Miami to spend a lot of money in, in that area of the field, but who knows what system they play and um, what opportunities Chapman is afforded there. So uh, it's it's a new look. It's a new opportunity for him and, and one that certainly I think uh, he has all of the talent to, to take advantage of. So um, that'll be certainly one that I'll be watching throughout this season and give me a little extra reason to to, uh, to watch Inter Miami as they start their debut MLS 
uh, campaign. Now, the probably the biggest news of this offseason for Toronto FC, other than uh, maybe an incoming player, again, potentially depending upon this contract itself, is the contract of Captain Michael Bradley. Um, you know, will it be a targeted allocation money contract? Will he come back as a designated player? Uh, certainly now that his option was not picked up after the MLS Cup final loss, um, there's uh, some negotiating to be done. Um, what's, what's the latest you've heard on that, James? And, uh, you know, potentially... Um, when you think we might hear the news, I know um, they the club put a put a something of a deadline on it, but uh, uh, I guess we'll we'll see if that happens. Yeah, it wasn't so much a deadline as it was sort of a, a timeline that they were shooting for, and right. And I think one of the one of the big questions, and, and this sort of goes to the the roster announcements that we just saw, was that you know we're entering into a CBA negotiation this off season, and so we sort of have no idea exactly what what rosters are going to be structured like next year. A lot of things could change. You know, these, these designated player TAM designations could, could all go by the wayside depending on how things shake out. And so there's always going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of uncertainty heading into this off season. And, and now that I think about it, I'm sort of wondering how many of these options not being picked up were a function of, we don't quite know how the money is going to be, is going to, to sort out by the end of this winter. So, Lots to lots to sort of keep an eye on. You know, I when TFC's uh, announcement was a couple hours late, I I was half expecting them to uh, to announce Bradley today, and and uh, you know they put a seven to ten day window on on this being one of the first things they wanted to get sorted out heading into the off season, and you know today's day eight, so uh, you know between us recording and this going live, there we might have to do a little bit of an update, but um, I, I sort of. The, the general tone from taken away from that locker clean out day was that, you know, this was just a, this was just, you know, final details that had to get sorted out and, and how that all shakes out, what, uh, what the terms are, all that sort of stuff is, is, is I'm sure what they're, what they're going through right now. And it, it sounded like Ali Curtis and, and Michael's representatives have been in contact regularly throughout the season, but it wasn't a, uh, it wasn't a, uh, you know, a lot of times the, the ticking of the clock that we hear is because a player can sign a pre-contract somewhere else or, or he can go on a free and stuff like that. And, and I just don't know if that's quite the concern that you have with Michael right now. Um, if he's happy in, in town here and his family is happy in town here, then, you know, there's not that sort of, there's not the same business impetus that we see in a lot of these decisions where where as soon as whatever control you have over a situation dissipates then somebody else is going to swoop in and come to mm-hmm. terms that you can't exactly uh you can't exactly match or or you lose control over in a, in a way uh i think as you said it, it basically comes down to a tam or a dp situation and as i said you know who knows what those labels will mean in in the near right. future so there's a lot of a lot of really intriguing things to come out of this. I, I, you know, TFC were pretty adamant that if a thir- if their third DP spot were to open up while they resign Michael, then they would most definitely be adding a third designated player. So mm-hmm. uh, uh, it's one of those things where where what's best for the team, what's best for Michael. There's a lot of moving pieces. I I think one of the things that's more fascinating, if we presume that he is going to be back, or or even in the off chance that he isn't, is what does that midfield look like on a day-to-day basis? You know, Michael's a guy that anytime he's around, he wants to be on that pitch. He wants to be playing. We, we've seen Liam Frazier sort of champing at the bit to, to get minutes, and we got Noble Akello fast on his heels to get some some time in the middle of the park too. And, and as we talked about with Jay Chapman, uh, it's, it's pretty tough getting minutes in that TFC midfield. And, you know, between Pozuelo, who wants to be a number 10 next year, which is another piece that's going to have to fit into the midfield somehow. And Marky Delgado and Jonathan Osorio and Michael Bradley, it's, uh, it's going to be fascinating to see how they, uh, how they sort of navigate a season with, uh, with so many guys that want to be out there for every single minute. Yeah. I think if you, I think you bring up a great point with the, the CBA and kind of, um, and not being fully sure what rosters will look like next season and uh, maybe how that relates to some of the moves that Toronto FC have made today and will make. Uh, at, the, at the same time, uh, you know, I think certainly the the chaos of last offseason for Toronto FC, I think they're going to want to get 
as many deals done as they can early on in the in the offseason and and give themselves an opportunity here to uh, maybe take some more time and uh, not not have the stress that they had last offseason with uh, you know the Pozuelo um, complications certainly I don't imagine they'll go through a situation like that maybe ever again um, <laughs> as wild as that was but kind of how that handicapped them in terms of their ability to go out and then get um, wingers and, and some of the other players that they had to add a little later on in the season. So um, I, I wonder if that's a big part of the Bradley discussions as well is is wanting to get something done as, as quickly as possible um, so that they have, you know, a chance here to to have a little more control this offseason. Yeah, I think that's a big part. And another thing that, that we sort of forget because we're so used to the rhythms of this league is that, you know, this is all happening a, a month earlier than it usually would because MLS Cup was played a, was right. played a, a good month before it, it's normally on the schedule. So, you know, TFC is going to have a, a pretty long off season by their standards in the last couple of years. And, and yeah, there's no, uh, you know, maybe Marquis Delgado will be the one uh, looking for his way out come February come January, February, but I, I highly doubt it. So, uh, yeah, I think last year between between the ins and outs, uh, it was a pretty unique circumstance. But when it comes to these things, you always want to want to know what you're getting into before you start adding those those final pieces, that fine tuning. And that's very much the message going into this offseason is that this group feels like what they accomplished over the back half of the season was a better representation of who they now were having gone through the changes and evolution that they went through. And that this is just about sort of uh, doubling down on that and, and, and putting the final touches on it. You mentioned this um, earlier in your point, but Liam Frazier, I want to talk a bit about him just because that was another bit of news coming out of the, the season-ending press availability um, was the idea that he could go out on loan. Now, the the main quote more um, relates to the fact that uh, Greg Vanny recognizes that Liam Frazier and with the performances he put in this year needs to see significant minutes this next year, whether that's with Toronto FC or he mentioned the, the potential possibility of a loan if you know th- things aren't um, necessarily shaping out with Toronto FC. He did also say um, that he would uh, be open to looking at Frazier alongside Michael Bradley, which is something that he's uh, he hasn't seemed necessarily all that want to do in the past. But um, I think Frazier certainly is is in terms of the young players for Toronto FC maybe the most interesting going to this offseason because certainly he's been the most consistent performer for Toronto in this you know in the in the past off se- or in this past season um and, and at the same time I think he's um you know the one that's or I think it's just been difficult for young players like Liam Frazier and like a, a number of players you know we mentioned Jay Chapman earlier and him moving on to break through in a Toronto FC side that wants to be fully competitive year in and year out so um Frazier Frazier and you know, just kind of that idea of young players is going to be so interesting to watch this next season just because, um, you know, in terms of that development pathway, you want to uh, you want to give these guys an opportunity to break through into the first team. And Frazier is the one who's certainly knocking on the door the hardest. Um, but again, he's um, naturally behind a player who, uh, as you said, is going to be on the field whenever he's physically capable uh, of being on the field. So, um, you know, that, that's that's certainly something that uh, I'm going to be watching for this next season and uh, what they how they handle Liam Frazier. Yeah, it's not just Liam either. It's it's a guy like Io who who's shown real flashes but couldn't really get a, a consistent bit of bit of spells. A guy like Aiden Daniels who we just saw his option not picked up and and there's plenty of guys down in two that are that are fascinating, but uh, but it's it's so hard to make the jump from a team that that wants to be contending in in every match and wants to play for every every three points that's on a bit that's available, and and going from a USL two team or going from the academy team and sort of having that step up. You know, we saw Jacob Schaffelberg do it pretty well. He's sort mm-hmm. of in a unique position in that that winger role is. This is going to sound more facile than I mean it to be, but that winger role is very much an individual thing. You just sort of you you hang out on your part of the pitch and you do your sort of narrow job, and that's a little bit different than a forward or than a midfielder, where you're very much a part of the uh, the the engine of a team the way that that Liam right. needs to be here. You know, I look at it, it's funny uh, sometimes when you talk with Greg um, about things, he he sometimes speaks a little too freely. 
and he doesn't quite realize what he's getting himself into when he's when he <laughs> leaves open possibilities. Like people reacted pretty strongly to that potential of Liam going out on loan, but you know, I, right. I think reading based on conversations I've had with Greg, it, it's it's sort of his his way of like you know, as much as he wants every single one of the guys that come through that club to to end up playing for the first team, sometimes that's not a direct path. Sometimes guys have to go have to go somewhere else to get their minutes. And we've seen, you know, we saw Ryan Telford do incredibly well at York Nine this season. It was I was a little surprised that his option was an exercise, but I mean, you know, that's that's as we talked about already, that's sort of uh, just an update on where things currently are. And a guy like Liam it, it falls into that same Jay Chapman thing of of how long is just training alongside guys good enough before uh, before it ends up stalling out your career? And so I, I didn't read too much into that. You know, Greg talked about the possibility of the two of them playing alongside each other, which I think I think works. I don't know if it works in the four three three that Vanny wants to play, but I think if we want to go if we want to go super deep on things, uh, one of the things that I find fascinating about this upcoming year, given how how much of a change the team went through this year was was something Greg talked about way back before uh, Jovinko left and before the Vasquez stuff going on was that he wanted this team to be um, very fluid in, in how they approach things and he wanted things to be deliberate. He wants them to to play a style where where you're looking to set things up on the pitch and everybody is is on the same page and and we saw a couple of plays this year where where that very much worked out and they were basically goals that he drew up on the chalkboard and. You never want a team to be super predictable, but there is something handy about having the way the way that a position is played within the team, the way that a role is is constructed, being so predictable that you can sort of plug and play guys. And whether it's whether it's Michael in the midfield, whether it's Liam Fraser in the midfield, whether it's Noble Akello, the center backs know exactly where that guy is supposed to be. They know that he's going to be mm-hmm. an option. He knows where everyone in front of him is going to be, and it's it's a plug and play sort of system. And so. Um, I think that the fact that it's been a pretty tumultuous, you know, 2018 didn't go the way that the team intended it to. And then this evolution was always to the winger system was always sort of in the cards, but I think it sort of got accelerated a little bit more. Like and it's, it's funny, but like, what would this season have looked like if you had Victor Vasquez and Sebastian Jovinko in that team? Like it's, uh, it's, it's, it's strange how quickly how quickly things can can change at uh, just with one or two decisions sort of coming up that that completely make things random. Now I've gone way off tangent here, but um, <laughs> I don't quite know exactly how Liam and Michael play together. I think I think the the other complication is the same one that we talked about with Chapman. You, you throw Osorio in there, you sell, throw Delgado in there, you throw Pozuelo in there, and, and you need about eight guys in the midfield to get everybody out yeah. on the pitch that you want out there. And and I think there is something to be said for having that sort of competitive level within training. And we've seen Liam take take some pretty big steps forward in terms of his his ability to step onto the pitch and, and to be decisive. I, that that U.S. Canada game was just. Uh, I didn't know quite what to expect when he was thrust into that, uh, you know, 20 minutes into the game when Mark Anthony Kay goes down and, and he was fantastic on the night. The question is always going to be, can he be that fantastic every night? Can you get that reliability and reproducibility from a player? And that's always the challenge for a young guy. But, you know, whether he goes out on loan, I don't know, man. That's one of those things that, that, uh, they will probably sit down with Liam and they'll, they'll scope out a plan and they'll find out what, what he wants to do and what's best for him. And, and this goes back to what I was sort of rambling about with Greg. The decision won't be made just on, on what's best for TFC at the moment. It'll, it'll be made in conjunction with the player on, on how to best move his, his, progress his career forward. Yeah. Speaking about, I guess, other young players as well are, which young players are you kind of looking at this offseason in terms of the potential to take a step forward and and find themselves you know more consistent roles within this first team because as you said there are a number of players certainly with Toronto FC2 coming up and you know you've got your Io Akinolas you've got your Julian Dunn who's um, in the conversation as well got his uh, contract option picked up today there's a couple of young players who are in and around that first team but certainly we didn't see 
um, for any extended period this year that, uh, you know, <laughs> given an offseason and given one more year of development could potentially take a step forward. Uh, who are you going to be looking out for as um, as we progress into the 2020 season? Um, I hope, I'm, I'm sort of a terrible judge of, of quality when it comes to these guys. I sort of see... I sort of see the things in them that that could make them great at this level, and it's always a matter of of both how much do they seize the opportunity when they're given it, and how many opportunities are they given. And it's sort of that that balance between the two. You know, Julian Dunn had a had a tough year this year. He had a couple of injuries that kept him even out of the TFC two lineup for a, for a long time. And and uh, you know, Io is a guy that's that's sort of when he gets those little glimpses, he looks great, but they're just too few and far between to really be an, an adequate replacement for for a player like Josie Altidore who, whose goal scoring mm-hmm. record even in a year like this was was outstanding and so I, I don't think it's I don't think it's wise to really sort of rush guys you know Schaffelberg was a guy that we saw some electric things from this year and then and then he basically disappeared from the lineup for for a couple of months and and I think that's very much uh, one one conversation that I had about Greg regarding um Greg Vanny regarding the roster composition is that, you know, by the way that the rosters are structured, you're sort of, you have to lock in a player who, who you aren't quite sure what they're capable of on a, on a one year, two year basis, you know? So a guy like Julian Dunn gets signed when Toronto was heading down to Colorado last year. And, you know, maybe he's in great shape and he's looking on a good trajectory and then he has a little setback and then he has a little injury. And, and before you know mm-hmm. it, you've, you've used up one of your few developmental spots on a guy for two years when when he might not be best situated to, to take advantage of that. So something Vanny suggested as a possibility was like, what if what if you could cycle through players? And if a guy is playing really good at two and you think he can be a piece that can help you at that time, then he's part of your first team roster. Just some flexibility there to account for the fact that you never know who's going to be in what kind of shape at what time in the year. And that's a, it's an interesting sort of subplot to follow in this CBA thing. I, I've sort of thought the last couple of years with teams trying, trying to go particularly deep in the Champions League and how detrimental that's been to the rest of their season that, that every MLS team could use another five to 10 roster spots just of guys who are in and around that first team enough and, and on the bench enough and getting minutes enough that they're a little bit more ready to contribute. And so how that shakes out if, if MLS really wants to compete with, uh, you know, the roster of, a of, a, a Tigres that's got 60 professionals on it compared to the, the 25 plus that you're allowed here in MLS is something to, to keep an eye on in terms of two, you know, there's there's some really interesting guys down there. There's there's the flashier guys. You know, Jaden Nelson, I think, is a guy that we'll see sooner rather than later. Um, I think if anybody's excited about Jaquiel Marshall Ruddy, they might have to wait another year or two before he's uh, he's really going to be considered for the first team. Uh, you know, Luca Petrasso and, and Jordan Farrier are two guys that that fit that winger profile that Greg Vanny is really looking for. And, and you know, Jordan Peruzza scored a bucket full of goals down in USL too. And and just seems so composed in front of goal and and uh, a bit of a sniper, which is what you sort of want in a forward. Um, and then and then even Io, you know, there was always going to be a battle between Io Akinola and Jordan Hamilton this year to see who would pick up those those minutes left on the table when Josie wasn't there and, and Jordan down in Columbus now, or, or at least he was this year. I'm not exactly sure what his status is on roster compliance day or whatever it is that we're calling right. today. Uh, but then there's a bunch of there's a bunch of other guys that I think are ready for another challenge. You know, you look at Rocco Romeo, who was over in Denmark for a little bit this year before coming back. Uh, Robert Boscovich, who spent some time with Ottawa, though his minutes were few and far between. And, and I've consistently been impressed with Matt Serval, who's just uh, such a reliable and strong driving midfielder, sort of a box to box kind of guy. But you know that TFC midfield is basically impossible to get into. So uh, I, it's it's. I think it's going to be a while before we really see that true pathway of TFC Academy to TFC2 to the first team sort of come to fruition just because the the jumps in between the various levels is just so high that that being able to make it is is pretty tricky and and uh but there's always there's always that possibility there's always going to be that space when TFC gets together for training camp in uh 
in the spring, or I guess it'll be more appropriately called uh, the winter uh, around these parts, at least in January, and, and right. head down to California. You know, they'll be traveling with a big group of guys, and you know, Tariq Muhammad will be there, Dante Campbell will be there, some guys that have sort of been in the system for a couple of years. So, uh, it's anybody's guess who the next one to sort of emerge is going to be, but it's uh, something to keep an eye on for sure. Yeah, and we do know developing homegrown players is a high priority for Ali Curtis now. Uh, a bit of a different situation here in Toronto than it was in New York Red Bulls, I think, in terms of the uh, maybe the investment that Toronto FC has been willing to make in, in past years in terms of their roster, but certainly still something that I know Ali Curtis wants to focus on and, and continue to develop within this club. So that's something to watch. But I did want to... Um, talk a little bit about something you mentioned earlier on the show in terms of Toronto FC's roster and and maybe having more of an identity because we did see things switch pretty often uh, this season in terms of very early on. We, we knew that Greg Vanny always wanted to play uh, a style that was, you know, dependent on wingers, but then... Uh, very early on in the year. He didn't necessarily have those players in order to play that system. Uh, got them a little bit later, but then um, was without, you know, a, 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 a Josie Altador level number nine, at least towards the end of the year. So had to play with the false nine system, and obviously that got them to the final. But um, maybe in some ways that was the difference in the final was the fact that Seattle knew their system inside and out, had this system, that, as you mentioned, pretty plug and play with the four two three one that Schmetzer's instilled there and um you know they're they're very flexible in terms of who can play where but toronto fc not necessarily um knowing their system to the same extent and i think that's something that will certainly be a big goal for this offseason for toronto is is finding a solid identity and and finding a way to um be able to instill that throughout the club and and have a number of players who can fit into those positions yeah one of the one of the one of the, you know, end of season media press conference locker clean out day is always, it's always a bit of a marathon. You know, you're up there doing interviews for about four hours and, and TFC kept it pretty minimal this year. I think we only spoke with six players and, and, uh, club president Bill Manning and the GM Ali Curtis and Greg Vanny himself, but it, it's still about four hours and you end up with a 45 minute interview with Michael Bradley that you're sort of combing through over the next couple of weeks, but. I think one of the one of the fascinating things that sort of flew under the radar a little bit was that, you know, when when asked what the team needed to add aside from, you know, another attacking piece, somebody to to chip in a little bit more goals. One of the things that Greg that Greg Vanny really highlighted was that he just wanted some time to to get on the training pitch with these guys and to work on the system and to get them all on the same page and and to get to to. to make the most of who they can possibly be by solidifying that identity and by making things clear on the pitch for guys. And, and just by getting guys time together, you know, you look at a mm-hmm. guy like, like Erickson Gallardo, who, who came in, came in with not a whole lot of fanfare. I don't think a lot of us have been really keeping an eye quite on uh, what had been going down in the Venezuelan league recently, but oh, massive fan. Right. Oh yeah. <laughs> forgive me. Forgive me for being so presumptuous. <laughs> uh, you know, he's a guy that, that, brings some really exciting elements to the team. And it's something that, you know, I think one of the criticisms for TFC going into the playoffs was they didn't really have that kind of threatening transition speed that, that could really hurt a team or that could really force a team to be careful about how many numbers they committed forward. And, you know, Subasa has a little bit of speed. Nicholas Benizé isn't, isn't slow by any stretch of the imagination, but he's not the kind of player that's really going to steal 30 or 40 yards for you. I think the only guys on that team that could have done that would have been Schaffelberger, Gallardo, and and Josie does steal you that that bit of territory, but that's more because he he is is so good at being physical and holding up play that he can gain that territory for you. And so TFC were just far too slow in the transition; they weren't really a threat on if you committed numbers forward. TFC wasn't going to blaze up to the other side of the pitch and and do any damage to you. And, and Gallardo was a guy that, that Vanny said was looking really good in training and and his acclimation to his surroundings, you know, coming to a new country, coming to a new team, it just sort of come a little too late to really be a factor in the playoffs this, this time around. So he's he's definitely somebody that I'm going to keep an eye on for next year. And, and I was, uh, when I mentioned before that, that 
Toronto wanted to have that sort of that sort of plug and play thing. That sort of all right, everybody knows what's going to happen here. I went I went back and had a look at the uh, the assist that Gallardo put together for TFC's uh, game winner against the Colorado Rapids towards the end of the season, and it was very much. You know, ball turns over in Toronto's end. Marky Delgado flings it up into the space on, on the far right. And Gallardo is way up there collecting it and then picking his head up, picking out a pass to Osorio, who puts it in for, uh, for what turned out to be the game winner. So it's, uh, I think part of the reason why Toronto are relatively satisfied with the pieces they have in place was that they did a lot of the business that they had to do early in this year. And so, uh, He's another guy that just with some time, with some time in the laboratory with with the rest of his teammates, getting more settled in, in his life here, and how all the pieces are going to work. Uh, we'll probably have a lot more to uh, to say next season. Yeah, again, we don't know exactly what MLS rosters are going to look like when the season opens, but given what we do currently know, um, going into this off season, what pieces do you think Toronto FC needs to add in order to? Um, you know, maybe take that step to the next level and and get back into. I, I know they did finish at the end of the season. They did finish in a decent position and obviously made the MLS Cup final. But uh, I know certainly up with this club standards and and you know what management uh, considers to be the goals here that that won't be fully considered a successful season. So, um, what do you think this team really needs to add to compete with you know your Atlantas and and your New York Cities in the East and obviously LAFC and um, among other clubs at West? I think, and this is this was very much the message that was coming out was that they need they need somebody else who's going to be guaranteed goals. You know, yeah. you'll have Josie and you'll have Pozuelo, and both of them will will chip in a fair amount of scoring. But you need that, you know, whether it's Jonathan Osorio, whether it's Justin Morrow, as it has been in the past, you need somebody else to get up there and contribute with double-digit goals. And and so, you know, I have a lot of time for Patrick Mullins. I think he's a I think he's a, a very useful piece that that if given his chance, he can he can have an impact. I. I like the direction that Iowa is heading in, but uh, I think he just needs to find that that sort of consistency to be to be the kind of guy that's a constant threat whenever he's out there. And and as I mentioned before, I think Peruzza is a guy that's sort of on the bubble in terms of maybe getting close to earning himself a first team deal with with the contributions that he's been putting in for TFC too. But if you can bring in another guy that's going to be a guaranteed ten to twelve goal scorer for your side, I think this is a team that that you know, much much though they were they weren't exactly slouches in the goal scoring department. I, I think I wrote this a couple of weeks ago. They scored fifty seven goals this year, which was like good enough for I think there were maybe four or five teams in the whole league that scored more goals than them. But if you compare mm-hmm. that to their twenty seventeen treble season where they scored seventy four, um, having those extra kind of goals will cover up a little bit of the uh the occasional defensive mistake. If if you know you're gonna score two or three a game then and it's all right to concede one, which is something that, that TFC's done an awful lot of this past year and, and something that I know they were pretty displeased about. Aside from that, really, I think it comes down to it comes down to depth. It comes down to to having pieces that that can step in when needed. You know, we can talk about whether that's a, another another body at forward, whether that's, you know, with the with the losses today of or the presumed losses of, of Telfer and and Daniels and Morgan um, and possibly Benize as well. You know they're going to need some other bodies to, to fill in those positions out wide. They're probably going to need another fullback or two. Um, are they going to? Could they use another defender? Probably, but but I don't think you're looking at a, a top two or top three defender that needs to come in. I think you're looking at somebody who's who's got some experience or maybe is on the backside of their career. If if in case if in fact they do feel like they need to add a little bit more there. Um, I think that's about it. Like, it's uh, it's funny. One of the uh, one of the other statements uh, from from Locker Cleanout Day that sort of stuck in my mind was, uh, you know, Bill Manning reiterated something that the club had had been uh, pretty adamant about before was that it's not just about getting the right player on the field; it's about getting the right sort of character in the room. And this TFC group is a it's a group that's pretty confident in their abilities and. And when you have a room that's sort of been together for as long as they have, you have to find, you have to be sure that the people that you bring in are going to mix well with that group. You know, we saw a pretty, a pretty disastrous start to, to 2018 in terms of 
you know, they brought in in three quality international players that we were all pretty excited about in uh, in Gregory Vanderveel and uh, our good friend Agar Akeche and uh, and Aro. And it's telling that only Aro is left, and and he was perhaps the uh, the least heralded of that trio. And and uh, you know, we never quite know exactly what went on behind the scenes, but uh, a locker room can be a pretty pretty fragile thing and i feel like this group feels like it's in the right place it feels like they're all pulling in the right direction and, and you don't really want to throw that out of whack just because some big interesting name gets floated across across your desk and becomes a possibility and so what Van, what manning actually pointed out was that you know omar gonzalez was the guy who came in and just his attitude and his professionalism was just something that that bolstered what was already going on in that room and just provided some assurance that the group maybe needed to take it to another level. And so assessing the character of guys is always, uh, you know, we can all look at the stats and we can all look at the highlights, but, but just how the guy's going to be on the other, you know, the other hundreds of hours that you spend around the training pitch when you're not actually playing matches is just as important. Before we finish up on the show, I did want to, Talk a little bit about the international window and what it meant for the Canadian men's national team. Obviously, uh, a pretty difficult one, um, all things considered. The a bit of an opportunity missed for Canada in terms of what would have happened if they had drawn or or you know obviously beat the United States. Um, now looking like they're 15 points behind El Salvador for the six, sixth and final spot in the hex. Um, so I guess kind of looking forward here um it it does now look like they'll probably be in that lower tier of world cup qualifying which will mean a lot of uh, almost a lot more of the same in terms of the way they had to qualify for the gold cup uh, and and nations league um this past season um or this past year so um you know what do you make of that and and i guess uh, the potential opportunities that were missed and the potential opportunities that now Canada maybe has because, uh, it, you know, in some ways, obviously, it would have been incredible to go into that hex and, and you know, again, there's more, there's definitely more World Cup qualifying opportunities in the hex than there is in um, this second tier round. But at the, at the same time, you know, the CONCACAF is getting that little bit deeper and you've got sides like Curacao and Haiti and um, some of those other teams now that are, are pretty difficult to play. So Canada is going to have some challenging games. It's just, you know, it's going to be dragged out quite a bit and, and maybe, um, you know, not the best opponents over the next little bit uh, once again. No, I was kind of surprised at the general reaction to, to Canada, you know, slipping up down in the U.S. Uh, you know, if anybody expected that it was going to get easier after beating the U.S. here at, at BMO Field, then uh, they clearly haven't been paying attention to Canadian soccer enough for the last 10 plus years or whatever it's been. Uh, you know, progress is, is rarely, if ever, a straight line sort of thing. And yeah, and. That two nothing win in my many years of following this national team. That two nothing win was was, you know, genuinely one of the best moments that, that Canadian soccer has had in a long time. And and we all sort of should have expected that the U.S. would have a reaction to that, and and that it was going to be a lot tougher to go down to Florida and to to get anything out of that. Um, as disappointing as it is to to have passed on that opportunity and you know forever canada only needed a draw will be uh will be uh, <laughs> yeah. a statement that that you know jangles the nerves of every canadian soccer fan but you know all that they can do is sort of put their heads down and keep working you know john herdman hasn't been in charge of this program for all that long and and they will be hitting the tape and they will be looking at what they did well and they will be looking at, at where they fell flat and, and they'll take that knowledge and and glean from it the lessons that they have to take. And, and I think those lessons are when, when Canada is playing at its best and everybody is pushing in the same direction, they can, they can play at this level. You know, we saw, we saw bits of it against Mexico in the Gold Cup and we saw it against the U.S. at BMO Field. And, and the, the back half of that lesson is that if things aren't going right, if you're not crisp, if you're not sharp, if you're not right on the day, and if you're not ready to go right from kickoff, then it can go horribly wrong very, very quickly. And, and the line between success and failure, especially with CONCACAF getting better, is so fine. And and you have to take every opportunity that you get. You know, I when I sat and watched Canada play, play the away match against Cuba in the Cayman Islands and come out with a 1-0 draw, I 
that was sort of a warning sign for me that, that, you know, maybe this team that we've seen steamroll through their CONCACAF Nations League qualification wasn't quite able to make sure that, that when the next 90 minutes came, they were going to definitely be up for it. And, you know, playing on the road in this region is never easy. The travel in this region is never, never easy, but, but if Canada had, had not gotten that one nil win down in Cuba, then, then it wouldn't have mattered whether they beat the U.S. or not. And so this, this is very much about taking every, taking every chance you get and, and being ready for that chance. And I think, I think you have to look at this as having been a bit of a missed opportunity, but at the same time, all you can do now is, is take the lessons from it and move forward. You know, I don't think enough has necessarily been made of just how difficult of a task was sort of laid at John Herdman and company's feet going into this. You know, you think, you think that the way you get your way into the hex is to play into the hex. And then all of a sudden the, the points classification system, that's going to be the determinative factor ends up getting changed to the last minute and you haven't had friendlies and, you know, you're fighting against years and years of bad results in order to try and make up the points to get in there. So it, it was always going to be a bit of a challenge. And I think, I think in the elation of that win over the U.S., it, it was easy to sort of look past the fact that, that the, the task at hand was always a little bit more challenging than, than we might've been ready to, to accept. And, as far as the uh, the secondary pathway to, to qualification, uh, I sort of look at it in two ways. You know, there's a part of me that thinks that that it can be good for this team, and that you know we don't quite know the schedule yet or how intense it's going to be. But you know, Canada will have regular and important games for whatever the time period is that this pathway takes them to the next World Cup, and that will be important for this program. You know, this is a, this is a, a team that far too often we've had the the brief glimpse of, okay, World Cup qualifying is on. Oh, no, now it's over and the team won't have a <laughs> game for, for another two and a half years. And and so just having having a group that comes together and that gets together every couple of months and that's on the same mission and that keeps having hurdles placed in front of it, that can only sort of be good on the whole. I, I think the, the worry is, is that, if you were in the hex and you were playing the U.S. and Mexico and, and Panama and Costa Rica and all these teams, you're perhaps going to be more prepared for the level of competition that you're going to reach at that final stage. And, you know, CONCACAF's record at the World Cup it, it isn't great to be to be in candid. And yeah. so if Canada gets there, if any team gets there by by you know, outpacing the likes of Curaçao and Haiti, then I don't know if that necessarily prepares you to go up against Brazil or Germany or anything <laughs> like that. So that's that's a risk, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll save that worry for another day. Um, I think... I think what this does do, though, is it is it gives Canada the chance to reinforce those lessons of how important it is to take every 90 minutes as as they're presented to you and, and to remind that, you know, you might be going to to Belize. You might be going to play Cuba in the Cayman Islands, as I mentioned before. But if you're not up for it, if you're not ready, if you're not focused, you're going to get punished in this. And yeah. uh, that that's such an important lesson in this region. And so, while it might be disappointing in the in the short term, I think in the long term it sets them up to do better next time around. Yeah, and this is a Canadian team that has shown uh, an ability to learn lessons, obviously coming off that Gold Cup and then being able to get that big result against the United States. Even even the two games against Cuba, again, um, like you said, there was very much a chance that that Cuba game could have gone um, could have gone wrong, especially, you know, Dino Henry gets sent off, but they were able to, to see out that result. And so there is, there is an indication here that this Canadian team can learn lessons. And obviously this is another lesson that they have to learn. And, um, as you mentioned, it's never going to be easy to go away in CONCACAF and, and get results, but, um, it's something that they're going to have to do if they want to get, um, where they need to be. And, and there's going to be more difficult places to go to than Orlando, um, with, you know, 10,000 fans or so. So, um, yeah, it's a difficult result, but uh, we'll we'll continue to track the team on this podcast, and and certainly there'll be a lot more big games over the next couple of years. Um, I guess dependent on 
on where those games are played. But like you said, it'll be nice to it'll be nice in, in some ways to not say Canada's out of World Cup qualifying like two years before the tournament itself uh, itself happens. So um, we'll we'll have quite the quite the ride either way uh, to watch with this men's national team. But uh, I think that brings this week's podcast to an end. Um, there'll be a lot more discussion, obviously, on Toronto FC's off season and in Canada as well in the weeks to come. Um, but for now. Um, we'll yeah we'll end this show james thanks so much for joining me oh my pleasure as always and i'm just checking my inbox to make sure no news is dropped while we uh, while we were recording i think we're good for now man so yeah i've had my eyes on the uh on the <laughs> toronto fc twitters as well so um you know we'll maybe you'll hear us again in a, in a couple of minutes uh with, special with emergency edition yeah <laughs> exactly but uh at the moment it doesn't look like anything major is going to break for Toronto FC at the end of the day. So um, uh, again, thanks for listening, everyone, and uh, have a good weekend.